0: welcome back to love at first screening the show where i rom-com enthusiast madison introduce my friend co-host and resident genre skeptic chelsea
1: that's me
0: to all the feel good cliche romantic questionable hilarious occasionally humorous films she's never wanted to watch well, Chelsea, it's been so long since I've seen you last. Yeah, at least, gosh, four days. I know, it's too long. I think that we should keep it to, you know, a strict 48-hour intervals. Mm-hmm. I get lonely. Mm-hmm. Although I have been able to chase away my lonesomeness with uh, not one, but uh, two guys the past couple days. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Their names are uh, Miller and Chubby. <laughs> yeah, I used the uh, bulldog Chubby as a pillow slash stuffed animal yesterday for a two-hour nap. It was very comfortable.
1: Sounds nice. I-, I am also dog-sitting. My tail has nothing to do with the dogs, and it's not nearly as pleasant. Oh, no. Um, I don't know if you can see
0: my fingers. Yeah, what happened to them? They have band-aids. Um, I burned myself on a on a kitchen pot.
1: Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, so they, they're very ouchy, <laughs> and I don't have my mother here to kiss it and make it better. <laughs> this is the saddest thing I've heard all day. It's honestly one of the worst parts about adulthood is having to take care of yourself when you're sick and injured.
0: Honestly, that's so true. I, as you know, uh, I was previously dying of consumption and my mom did get me watermelon and she got me popsicles and like a Dayquil, Nyquil pill combo box. Like, honestly, it was like a heavy meal, but for a sick adult. Yeah. Do you think that we should create a service where moms, it doesn't have to be your mom, but just like a mom or someone who has mom energy could like be fill-in moms for people who are ill or have ouchies yeah is that just a nurse probably (laughs) but i feel like we could make some real money doing that yeah
1: um for the listeners at home i do want to say since madison is is house sitting she did forget her microphone for recording purposes. And I say that because I here in the studio I'm hearing some kind of ambient noise. I don't know if the software will cut that out or not, but I just want people to know that, you know,
0: it's a it's a-, a squeaky toilet. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, that's exactly what you're hearing. I've like tuned it out. I can no longer hear it, but that's absolutely what you're hearing. It's just like running. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a seal issue. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm um, terribly sorry to the sound quality of this episode. Uh, but you know what, Chelsea? I don't think that's going to be the worst thing about this episode. No, probably not. Because, Chelsea, the worst thing about this episode is the movie that we watched. <laughs> The movie that, you know,
1: Madison's not even going to pretend like she doesn't know what my feelings on this movie are. Because when I finished this movie, I immediately texted her, what the fuck?
0: And I, she, okay, no, 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 no. We had to clarify. You sent me two texts. You sent one that said Madison. And the next one said, what the fuck? And her response was... What did I do? Because honestly, that could probably be towards so many different things. It turned out it was because of this movie. And I don't blame you. And this movie, uh, for anyone who's not keeping score, was Midnight in Paris from 2011. It features Owen Wilson as uh, the male lead. Uh, His name in the movie is Gil Pender, which is a terrible name all the way around like who who let you I actually know exactly who let you I'll we'll get into that uh Rachel McAdams plays his fiance Inez uh because there's a time travel element so you know Michael if you're listening I got one for you he's not listening but that's okay (laughs) but we I mean Michael Sheen's in it uh, there's just a lot of different people. Um, Tom Hiddleston is in it as F. Scott Fitzgerald. Allison Pill plays Zelda Fitzgerald. I mean, it's, it's a stacked cast for the quality of the movie. I'm going to let you explain what the movie's about and then I'll... Then we're going to have some words. But for anyone who opted to not watch the movie, which I think would be Chelsea's recommendation at this point, uh, first and foremost, you have to know that this movie was both written and directed by Woody Allen. So before I even get into the movie itself, uh, I just want to cover some highlights of Woody Allen. To get into Woody Allen a little bit more, uh, we have to dive into, I think, most prominently the sexual abuse allegations that were launched against him by his adoptive daughter Dylan Farrow uh, who was at the time seven years old in the home of her adopted mother adoptive mother Mia Farrow he's denied the allegation but if we're being completely honest he also had a sexual relationship with another of his adoptive daughters Sunyi Previn who he did marry you know what I don't even feel like I have to go into anything else I feel like that covers it Madison if people don't understand why Woody Allen's
1: no good at this point I don't think there's any helping them they're clearly either either they have the immense joy of not knowing who the fuck Woody Allen is
0: or They are willfully ignorant.
1: And honestly, I really just don't want to give him the airtime.
0: Midnight's in Paris is Owen Wilson plays the main character, Gil. His fiance, played by Rachel McAdams, Inez, are in Paris. Her father is there for some kind of business merger. So they kind of piggyback off of his trip. Gil is a writer. He's most known for writing Hollywood scripts but says that he's tired of feeling like a Hollywood hack and is trying to write, his own novel. Uh, This novel is about uh, a guy who works at a nostalgia shop which just basically sounds like an antique shop by a better name. Their relationship clearly is not the best and he goes on to romanticize and wax on about the glory of 1920s Paris when you had Hemingway and Fitzgerald and these amazing musicians and artists like Dolly and Picasso. All of these famous names and people Cole Porter would all be around there at that time in this, you know, quote, unquote, golden age of art in Paris. And he longs to have known that time period to be there because he feels like if he could just experience that, maybe he'd get direction in his writing and he would feel fulfilled as an artiste. He and Inez end up catching up with a couple of her friends. He doesn't care for them. He's trying to essentially go through Paris and stop at all these different places that he feels were artistically significant in the past, specifically in the 20s. Inez and the friends end up going dancing. He ends up wandering half drunk along the streets of Paris where a car stops and picks him up and he lands in 1920s Paris. He meets the Fitzgeralds first and then he meets Hemingway and he also meets this woman Um, named Adriana, who he finds. physically striking and then she says that she likes his writing so of course he's taken because he's found a woman who expresses you know interest and it feels impressed by him. Uh, he meets Gertrude Stein who said who helps him with the edits of his book goes and he does this repeatedly going out each night at midnight in Paris to go back in time. Well he finally convinces Adriana to essentially spend an evening with him. They end up going back to 1890s Paris where she's sort of glorified this version of past Paris in you know and tries to forsake 1920s Paris for it uh, telling him that it's the greatest time to have lived and going on and on uh, and she as he describes her is a bit of an art groupie because she jumps from Picasso to Hemingway she also was with a couple other notorious artists and he essentially has this very obvious revelation with her that the past is it, how easy it is to glorify the past instead of Of acknowledging your present and realizing how much value there is in the present. And it's easy to glorify something you've never known. A time you've never existed in. After coming to this painfully obvious and pseudo intellectual idea, he goes back, breaks things off with Inez, decides he's going to move to Paris, embrace modern Paris, and ends up seemingly going out with a Parisian shop employee who worked at like a vintage music stall. Okay, so. <laughs> This is one of the most
1: uninteresting movies I've ever watched. And I say that not in a, this bored me, which it did. Or, (laughs) you know, this was not as exciting as it could have been, which it wasn't. I mean that for someone who I know wrote many other films and for a very long time was praised as a voice in Hollywood and such. It's utterly disappointing and so juvenile. You said twice in that description that this epiphany that he comes to, which is sort of the whole point of the movie, is so in your face and obvious. There's absolutely no nuance to this movie. And I think it's disappointing because there are pieces of it that... In a different story, could have been really fascinating. Yeah, you're talking about a guy that travels back to a very specific time every night at midnight. Okay, that's that's really fascinating. What is he going to learn there? You have a lot of other characters, specifically in this sense, uh, a lot of very famous and well known writers, artists, uh, creative types and he gets to interact with them feel like it could have been better. Yeah. On top of of those elements, every single woman in this movie is one-dimensional at best. Perhaps half-dimensional. Perhaps did not put any thought in it dimensional. Every single one of them. And they're all there with the sole purpose of interacting with this man's ego in a very particular way – I I hated this movie. I hated it so much. And to top this all off, Madison, I can say with my full chest, this was not anywhere close to a romantic comedy. The, there's <laughs> almost no romance in. Enti- in fact, I would argue that there's not any romance in this movie at all, other yeah. than the romanticizing of different eras of creativity
0: would it help if you had either a gin ricky or perhaps a a french 75 made from bathtub gin in your hand because those are the drinks of the day people and i think if you drank about four of those before you watch this movie it'd be way better off
1: this is literally the film that some first year film student has been working on already before like, like the summer before he went To And it's a him, of course it is, because the women suck in this movie. Before he goes to film school, he's written and he's like so proud of, and he's basically just stroking his own ego, and it is the most basic and unimaginative version of an epiphany Like literally the whole movie leads to the scene in 1890s with Adriana and Gil in which Gil has this whole speech because he's looking at someone who's doing the exact same thing as as him. (laughs) Yep. And he's like, you can't do this. And he gives this so uninspired, like no shit, Sherlock. Like, what do you mean? Of course, nostalgia things don't. And I think part of it is in some ways I'm glad this movie exists the way it exists in terms of, I can just say it's garbage and it's bad and I don't have to like wrestle with parts of it that I think could have been inspired that like, because really what it is is this is a movie written and directed by a white man past his prime. Yep. Glorifying the world of writing for other cis het white men. Mm Mm-hmm who want to stroke their own egos and say that they're special in a world that has realized that the only thing that made them special was their ability to oppress other people. And so they, of course, they want to hold on to the past. Of course, they want to glorify this time gone by in which they didn't have to confront an age where we are armed with far more information to allow us to dismantle, or try at least, the various systems in play that have screwed over the rest of us for
0: all of
1: civilization history.
0: Like this movie is so dumb. Would it make you feel better to know that Woody Allen created Inez's character with Rachel McAdams in mind and approached her stating that he wanted her to play the role because she "Quote: She played the good girl all the time. Wouldn't it be fun to play the bitch, the bitchy woman? But she's not even a good bitch. And I'm not. I'm not talking about Rachel McAdams. But the character
1: of Inez is not a good. Like literally, her and her parents, all they are are materialistic. They, they. Yeah. Have, there is no other facets." to their personalities and in a different movie you could you might be able to argue that it's on purpose because we're telling the story through Gil's perspective but the thing is we're not critiquing Gil in this
0: narrative setting yeah it's just his perspective well they're also just all caricatures of various forms of privilege that's all they are Gil is a caricature of himself the entire time and it just fucking kills me because he thinks he's- I think my favorite part is that he shits on um the character Paul the whole time about being pedantic and you know just a a pseudo-intellectual. On what ground can he say- Any of that with a straight face. Oh, it's like, look at the fucking mirror, Gil. But that's,
1: but like, but that's the thing is like, again, a different movie that would be critiquing this character, you might find something worthwhile in, but instead you're supposed to be sympathetic towards him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't understand how anyone could watch this movie and not be infuriated by everything that is happening or rather not happening because honestly (laughs) I think the only way that you can genuinely enjoy this movie if everything I've already stated would be things that annoy you is if you are just really horny for Paris and I don't have a better way of phrasing that because my first complaint came before the title card which was when there was a three- plus minute montage of various Parisian scenes and it just went on and on and on and on and I'm like is this the movie am I just gonna see snapshots of Paris the whole time like that is precious time especially right like this is a 94 minute movie this is not a long movie no. That is wasted time. Yeah. There can be, there are so many other points in the movie that you could insert an establishing shot to say, oh, we're at this place in Paris or we're going near this spot of Paris or whatever, like to help you understand your surroundings. But a three minute montage before anything has happened in this movie is Far too long. And it, it just got worse from there. Honestly, after that was over, I found myself in the middle of the movie going, can we just go back to the stupid Parisian montage? <laughs>
0: because <laughs> nothing else that I'm seeing is worthwhile. Well, it's because he doesn't actually learn anything. You have the illusion that he learns not to romanticize a different time period, but he's essentially just transferring that to France and to Paris itself. You know, this is, he doesn't even speak French and yet he's obsessed with Paris. There are uh, probably like three types of people in the world who are like this. 14 year old girls whose rooms are only decorated in Paris memorabilia and motifs. Two. Viewers of Emily in Paris who somehow see themselves in the character Emily. And three, Owen Wilson in this movie. Because I I have great respect for the French. They know how to have a revolution. But, Jesse, do you know what's happening in France right now? What, Madison? There are massive protests or um, greves as they're called, like massive strikes. The sanitation workers have gone on this widespread strike. There's trash piling up in the streets. Um, there's all kinds of civil unrest going on right now in in France in general, but in Paris, because the um, president who was not well liked, decided that he needed to push the age of retirement later. I think from 62 to 64 is the difference that they're going for now. There's massive civil upheaval right now in France. Is that what we're going to romanticize? Again, I have great... They know how to fucking protest the French. I'm here for that. You could take tips of from, you know... Their direct action, but that's that's what we're romanticizing right now.
1: I mean, you know, it probably would have been worth it to look at what was going on in France in 2010 when I think this movie's supposed to be set. Yeah, and but but I would imagine because I, I do not know what was going on in France in 2010. Sorry to say, I think the takeaway that he has is the takeaway that I think we we've we've hint, we've talked about previously when we were talking about. Um, Kate and Leopold, what we said was, you know, with the rise of various forms of media like Bridgerton and even with the popularity of Daunt and Abbey, although that tends to be, I think, a little bit more historical, There's there's more context provided, whereas... Bridgerton, to a certain extent, is fantasy. But the reason that we like those things is more for the aesthetic as opposed to the reality of the situation. And so it's not so much that we're nostalgic for this time gone by, but we're missing principles that we don't feel like we have today. And so we talked about Leopold being a gentleman in a way that, you know, for the women in 2001. Uh, that we see in the in the movie don't feel like they have in the present day, but what the movie fails to really depict is that while Leopold might be well mannered, the differences in societal structures would have actually been worse for women, yeah.
0: especially
1: women who were not wealthy, which is true of any time. Wealth provides you privilege that make you comfortable in ways that you know poorer folks, working class folks don't have. So we've already had this discussion on this podcast where we've said that sure there are pieces of a an era that we like to romanticize, and I almost think of it as like imagine a very old statue, a tableau, if you will, a very mm-hmm. old tableau. Nostal- what nostalgia does. Is it takes that and it polishes the parts that we continually remember, Mm -hmm. that the more people remember, but only those parts. So therefore, the rest of it gets covered with more and more layers of dust and grime and they rust away because we don't remember those parts. Yeah. And so when you start looking at this picture, you're not seeing the whole thing. Unless you get a lot closer to it. And this movie says that in, like, also the the least poetic way. For someone who's yeah. supposed to be a writer, I just said something a lot more artistic than <laughs> any, than anything this man says in this movie. And it's it wasn't true. even, I mean, that was like on the spot. I could probably polish it up a little bit more. But anywho, he has this epiphany that he's like, yeah, but his epiphany isn't even really acknowledging the struggles of a particular past. Instead, all it does is say like, your world, like your the past that you're glorifying would then become your your present and therefore be monotonous and you would no longer think of it as this great thing because you're currently living in it which yeah. is like the most self-centered position on this entire topic to take oh, yeah. is because it's centering the person who is nostalgic rather than speaking to what nostalgia as a concept or what people who are nostalgic fail to realize It is not about the monotony. It is about the fact that no matter what era you live in, there are struggles.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: There are, you know, as we've said multiple times, depending on who you are as a person, you know, your place in society would be probably very different than it is currently. And I'm not trying to say that there are still many folks that have it very rough out there. Every time I open social media, I'm frustrated and angry and just so disheartened by the number of hateful, hateful pieces of legislature that are going on right now. Going back to a quote unquote simpler time, which this keeps kind of hinting out. It's like, no, 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 no. Time has never been simple. The world has never been simple. It's simple for you because you, you didn't have to deal with the, the, everyday stuff and you're only thinking about the like very best i mean Mm -hmm. history is sort of like instagram in that you (laughs) we only show you the best parts of it or the narrative that we're we're creating is very like tailored to a a very specific you know point we we don't we're not we're not showing you the whole thing and depending on who's who you're following on instagram to just you know, continue with this metaphor, you're gonna be getting different pieces of history. I've lost my train of thought. I'm just like kind of angry, but the 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 failures of this movie is that it it does nothing of substance. There's no substance to this movie. And it it's just sort of self-congratulatory. Like it's very clear that this movie is patting itself on the back thinking that it's said and something so deep that it's had such a lovely conversation about nostalgia and art and, but it doesn't, it like says so little about it. And it's so frustrating.
0: I mean, ultimately what you're circling around is just the idea of historiography, you know, who's writing this down and it's all from the perspective of a writer. And this is what he chooses to glean from Everything. Oh, by the way, I did look it up in 2010. In France, they were actually having massive protests out organized by trade unions largely because they were trying to shift the retirement age (laughs) to 62. I'm not even shitting you right now. It's the same thing. It's the same thing as today. So
1: literally nothing has changed.
0: Correct. Exactly. I mean, I I completely agree. It just absolutely kills me that this whole movie was just, I'm trying to think how I want to put this. uh, And I'm just going to come out and say it. This movie was just a masturbatory traipsing through this person's personal heroes that could have all collectively been in the same place and time within 1920s Paris and I'm sorry but if what if your heroes are F Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest fucking Hemingway you know what that says way enough way enough well and and that's right like I can be mad about all
1: this other stuff but then when you get into the details of this movie it's like it just explains why you're so frustrated with it Mm mm-hmm I think we said this in, I I think it was the Blade episode, the rom-com respawn, in which we were talking about people's snobby opinions about classics versus contemporary works. Yeah. And I think... I mean I know that my this is my opinion and I'm pretty sure I said this in the episode was that we hold up works that are like in the canon of like classic literature as if they're infallible but what people fail to realize is that like those works are classics because they were upheld by a very specific group They do not represent everyone, nor do they represent every experience in life. And I'm not saying that every work of literature has to be expansive. I think works of literature can be very, looking at a very small facet of something and still be worthwhile. But what I mean is that all of these stories, they have a lot in common Mm -hmm. because they're all about white men. (laughs) They're all written by white men. Not great white men. Like this story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like, And I feel bad for being ranty because I honestly, I know I'm not saying anything that critics haven't already said. I haven't looked at, you know, reviews of this film, but I guarantee you that anyone who was telling the truth is saying very similar things. But like Owen Wilson's character is essentially the person that's just like, these are the greats. Mm -hmm. These are who I will study. Yep. Because if I study them, I will also be great. But do you know what an actual great, well-rounded person would actually do? They would read widely Mm -hmm. across lots of folks. And instead of glorifying a handful, doesn't matter who those handful are, they would be critical of the people that they like. They would hold them accountable for the mistakes that they made. And that doesn't have to be social in nature. That can be like... This person's dialogue is shit. You know what I mean, but like they yeah. wrote, you know, but their like prose are so rich and lovely. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, right? Or it could be that you know their characters are underdeveloped, but the pl- their plots are super strong. Right? There are so many. Like nobody is a perfect writer. There are people that, yes, they do a lot of things well, but they don't do everything well. And instead, he has just romanticized these people as if they can do no wrong. But if you know anything about these people, you know that that's not true. So, and I know that this movie came out in 2011 and was probably written a few years before that. But I just, it is so hard for me to believe that this was in a theater and people like enjoyed it. It's just so hard. It's so
0: hard for me to believe that. It has like a 7.7 out of 10 rating on IMDb. And I also, so they were clearly trying to very much capture each of these writers spirits. And I think it's very interesting how they chose to portray like Zelda and uh, Scott Fitzgerald. Because more and more has surfaced that it, there's a strong likelihood that Zelda Fitzgerald actually wrote much of what F. Scott Fitzgerald published as his own. We also know that he locked her away in an institution, likely because she was, it's a better of the two, he would steal her journals and her writings. And here you have Tom Hiddleston almost playing like a lovesick puppy sort of type to uh, Zelda's unhinged, wild, manic, frantic energy. The whole time, you know, having her shown as unruly, constantly drunk. And then you have Ernest Hemingway talking exactly like Ernest Hemingway wrote. And Chelsea, have you ever tried to read Ernest Hemingway out loud? Uh, I don't know if I've tried to read it out
1: loud. I have read one book before, so. And I hated it, for the record.
0: Yeah, so you know that his style is frillless. It's usually simple sentences just one after it's really jarring syntax if you try to read it and so to hear it spoken like that to hear someone speak like that I felt was also jarring and it was so self-aggrandizing I'm just gonna I, I pulled up some of the quotes from IMDB because I just have to read some of this for the people who didn't watch it as he said it I believe that love is true and real creates a respite from death. All cowardice comes from not loving, or not loving well, which is the same thing. And when the man who is brave and true looks death squarely in the face like some rhino hunters I know, or Belmonte, who's truly brave, it is because they love with sufficient passion to push death out of their minds until the return that it does to all men. And then you must make really good love again. Think about it. And that's him basically saying that the fear of death can be stripped, um, I guess, through orgasm. That's because he was basically talking about like being in an intimate moment with a woman is when he feels the least fear of death because I don't know. That is asinine and honestly
1: kind of frightening. If you think about other contexts in which. You might wonder, why would someone do that to another person?
0: Right? You know and what I And mean? then you think about Hemingway and his wives, plural, I do believe. Maybe he just had one and then had a series of other relationships. But he did die alone with a lot of polydactyl cats in Florida. So... Imagine how you want to model your life is all I'm saying.
1: I also feel like it's so strange that a lot of the artists, and so not specifically writers, but any artists that we idolize are so very tortured, Mm -hmm. suffered so much. And sure, I think it's perfectly healthy to appreciate someone's work because in more ways than one, you can separate the art from the artist. Yeah, it's not. It's not just a convenient way to ignore blatant and overt homophobia, transphobia, anti-Semitism. You know what I mean? Kanye race. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you can appreciate something, but also like you don't have to then emulate that person's existence and experience. And also by the same token, I feel like there's this really unhealthy idea that in order for any work you produce to be good, that you have to have experienced like severe trauma. Yeah. And I think that what people often forget is that most of us have experienced trauma and it's not, I don't know, it's not like this trauma porn that history and, and Hollywood would lead you to believe. And I also feel like that that really diminishes the kinds of experiences that create good art because I I, I don't know, I just find it unbelievable, as in not believable, that someone couldn't experience something overwhelmingly positive and produce art to reflect that.
0: You know what I mean? That concept has leaked into so much contemporary work as well, with this huge focus in like auto fiction that some semblance of a fictional work has to have some kind of autobiographical piece in nature, because of the whole, you know, like Iowa writers workshop concept of write what you know, because that's a great I mean, that's, Honestly, for a lot of people who write, that's the best place to start out. That's where you can tap into a lot of emotion. That's where you can, having something grounded in the real world helps you develop an altered version of it to where it is fictionalized, but it just gives you like a, a foundation. But now that seems to be the primary focus. Because, I mean, his his nostalgia shop writer, that was, uh, owner, that was him. That was a very mm-hmm. clear self-insert. And I'm so glad that we did not have to suffer through listening to any more of that. We got, like, the first line, and that was it. So, thank God. I don't know. I feel like maybe that's where some of this self-importance and self-indulgence that he has when it comes to his concepts of writing have to spark from. But uh, this is going to sound so shitty, but the idea that everyone has a story and everyone has a voice and everything that you experience is important. Is it? Is it valuable enough to put down? That's, but see, that's the distinction. I think,
1: yes, your experiences are valid and they are important. But when I say that, I'm not suggesting that you need to share that with other people in the form of literature or in the form of film. There are certain experiences that are going to resonate with other people, and those are experiences which maybe it's worth writing down. But I think that's the key distinction. I'm not suggesting that your experiences aren't worthwhile, but they're worthwhile to you. They're not worthwhile to the rest of planet Earth.
0: Yeah, it's it's this odd, I don't know, it's I I know this word gets volleyed around a lot in like mainstream psychology and pop culture, but it's such a narcissistic lens, in my opinion, to think that every experience that you have is worth some experiences, just live as Froofy shit that you just write down to process something in the notes app on your phone and you just leave it there and you let it die. And that's okay. I wonder if
1: in some part it has to do with ease and accessibility with which people can share their own experiences through mediums like social media. You know, I remember when Facebook like first, like when I was in middle school and Facebook first started people used to just want write paragraphs of things like especially teenagers that were using it were just having fights and stuff with with each other on their on their Facebook walls and things my rebuttal to that is I think this has been happening before social media And so I don't want to say it's solely social media's problem. And I know that people love to blame social media for all sorts of things, but I think It's a contributing factor, certainly, for the current generation. But I I don't think it's the sole perpetrator of this problem. Because people were writing down things that probably didn't need to be... Well, not writing down, but publishing things that didn't need to be published long before you could just
0: tweet. Yeah, no, I mean, you think about some of the crazy-ass shit that's been published. Like, legitimately published. I mean... We talked with <laughs> we talked with Emma about you know the existence of Mothman and other cryptid erotica just last time. So does everything need to be published? But you know what? At least that came completely out of left field. Actually, kudos again to Anne L probe for that.
1: I think that there's a certain level of self-absorption that artistic folks have to have. Just in like, if you don't believe in your own work, why on earth would anyone else? Mm -hmm. But I think that for certain people, the line between believing in what you're doing is worthwhile and having valid reasons. Mm -hmm. And also there's a difference between believing that what you're doing is good in a much more abstract sense than just like believing every single word you write down is golden. If you cannot criticize your own work, if you cannot take criticism from other people, you have to make changes. Like not everything you say or do is going to be a winner. And people that are wildly successful are not just shitting out bestsellers, you know, like... Yeah. Some
0: people have whole teams of ghostwriters chained Mm -hmm. to desks up in the mountains in a remote area. I'm not talking about James Patterson, but I'm not not talking about James Patterson.
1: So... Yeah, you know, I I was about to go there. So, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't really know what else to say about, about Gil and his writing. To me, this is very clear that this is a story that I wonder if in some ways is autofiction in terms of the writer's relationship to his writing and other people uh, that he admires and you know, wanting to feel like what he produces is worth something. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean... Absolutely. uh, To me, that's what this whole movie felt like. And did you need a multi-million dollar budget to to tell that story? I don't feel like that was the best use of funds. So, anyway. Madison, I think now would be a good time to determine if this is a rom-com or not. And, And I know that both of us are under no illusions that it is.
0: Yeah, no. Even though that it, it, it's marketed as one. Like it is, it states that this is a rom-com. Is it marketed as a
1: rom-com? Because everything I saw called it a com- a fantasy comedy or like a, I'd, I'd, I personally didn't see marketing that marketed as a rom-com. I kept, I, when I was watching this, I'm like, where is the romance? At what point? I have a note in my yes. app that says- I have a note in my app that says, We're an hour into this, and not a single drop of romance is in sight. Like, there's only 30 minutes left in this movie. I don't know what is gonna come out here at the end. To remind those of you who have forgotten, or to introduce those of you who maybe this is your first episode, and if it is, I'm I'm so so sorry. sorry. Jeez. We have three pieces of criteria we use to judge whether something is or is not a rom-com. And those questions that we ask are as follows. Do they date? This is this is the, honestly, I think, the only one that I'm gonna say maybe it passes because we certainly see him maybe growing closer to like Adriana. He's certainly pursuing her. I don't really feel
0: like there's any
1: depth there.
0: No, there's not. Because he's not pursuing her. He's pursuing a manifestation of his ego. Because she said that she liked his book after hearing the first line, that she was in love with it. Amazing writing. And then he finds her old journal at that shop, at that stall, and finds out that she's just so taken with him over Hemingway and Picasso. And he's just, it, she's, she is just a manifestation of an ego stroke. He has no care for her whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. So it, it fails. It fails
1: because there are no other couplings. I mean, sure. There's the shopkeeper at the end, but there's, there's no, they don't
0: go on dates. That's just because he, she said, I thought of you the other day because we got a new Cole Porter album in and he was touched that he came up in the mind of someone. He has to be prevalent in the mind of someone. He has to impress. Chelsea, none of, all of these women are just, that's why Rachel McAdams can play the quote unquote bitchy woman is because she's not impressed by him. Because he's not impressive.
1: Yeah. I mean, no. I mean, I'm with you. And this is what I'm saying is this is the only one that I feel like surface level wise you might feel like maybe it works. But uh, as you've stated, it does not in reality. So, all right. We failed. Do they date? Next question. Did we laugh? Uh, I certainly didn't. And honestly, I'm really struggling to figure out where there were even supposed to be jokes. Like, sure, I didn't personally laugh at this movie, but I've not laughed at lots of movies I've had the misfortune of watching as a result of agreeing to do this podcast with Madison. Even in those cases, uh, you can typically tell where humor is attempted. And looking back on this, I, I just simply cannot come up with an example uh, Madison, I'm not really sure.
0: I don't know. I was trying to think of any moments of attempted laughter, and I think you could kind of see some humor in his shock for the first night, or um, in Rachel McAdams, you know, saying that his like his brain tumor is flaring up again or whatever. But none of it was. <sighs> It'd be foolish to say that the humor was ill-developed because the rest of the film was too. So, yeah. But I
1: think it comes down to like, right, like there are dramas that have humorous moments in them, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't make them a comedy. And so I don't know that you could consider this movie a comedy. I don't Mm -hmm. think enough of an effort is made to make it humorous.
0: Yeah.
1: Whether or not it's successful, I don't think the intention is there to the extent that it should be for us to consider it a comedy. Yeah. So I think it fails. So the final question, which we know it's going to fail, but the final question is, is love in the driver's seat? That love being romantic love? Um, No, because this movie is propelled by this man's self-serving journey to stroke his own ego
0: and have a epiphany that honestly is an insult to the word yeah i wanted to come up with like some half-hearted half-assed jokey defense of love is in the driver's seat uh, with Owen Wilson and Paris being the two main love interests. You
1: know, I thought you might. <laughs> and if you came with that in earnest, I yeah. was going to be like absolutely fucking not because A, it's not romantic love. Yeah. It's like an infatuation and a... It's almost like a lust.
0: Yeah, it's not. So, no. I couldn't even try to jokingly attempt that because it's just... Uh, yeah. So ultimately, um, I think, Chelsea, this episode is special because this episode is our first three for three failure. Yeah, this movie flunks. I went to like general Google because I was like, I've seen this described as a rom-com. Um, and if you just Google it, straight out it's actually pitched more as like romance slash fantasy and I never understand I don't I still don't even understand the romance element of it
1: it's because they're in the city of love apparently yes. so therefore it must be you can't have anything set in Paris that's not romantic it's actually illegal
0: this movie is a crime
1: <laughs> I mean, it is a crime, but it uh, is a crime
0: written and directed by a man who is a crime. Okay, I have a genuine question for you. Why the hell did you pick this movie? You know, I think a friend said something about it and was like, oh, you guys should do this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've seen it like fuck. when did I first? I probably saw this movie for the first and only time seven or eight years ago. I would say, and was like, yeah, okay, we could do this. I remember, you know, time travel. He falls in love with somebody, right? Yeah. So I want to I wanna, uh, put out a formal apology here to Chelsea. Chelsea, I formally apologize to you for inflicting this upon you, inflicting this upon our viewers, reminding people at large that this movie even exists. And I know there's no way I can genuinely make amends, but I humbly seek your forgiveness whenever you find it in your heart to extend it. Might be a while.
1: I understand. And also, I knew because I remembered whatever year this movie came out, or I guess the following year for award season, yeah. I remember it being talked about. Just in case anybody wants to know, apparently it won Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. It has Take an Academy Award. It has an Academy Award. It also got uh, that same as a, in a couple other categories. Yeah. British Fantasy Award. Well, that honestly... Alliance, I'm sorry, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists gave this best original screenplay. What women? Yeah, what fucking women?
0: Oh my God. Were they held at
1: gunpoint by the creators of this film? I had to have been. Broadcast Film Critics Association Awards, it also won. So the screenplay won four awards. Nope, no, it won more. I'm so sorry. I didn't scroll down far enough. It won it at the Golden Globes as well for best screenplay. It won a Grammy for the soundtrack, so I'll forgive that one. Those people worked hard. Online Film Critics Society for the screenplay. Uh, The screenplay also won the Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association, as well as Writers Guild of America. Oh my god.
0: I'm walking away.
1: It won best foreign film at a film festival or Award that is obviously not American. That is utterly shocking. I knew it won something, or at least it was nominated. And for the record, this was nominated for Best Picture that same year at the Academy Awards. And Best Director. And Best Art Direction. I, what else was nominated that year is my question.
0: Apparently nothing. I'm... I brought you a cat to make you feel better. (laughs) To earn your forgiveness faster. Her name is Macy... And she's perfect.
1: Even though she peed on the floor?
0: We don't talk about that. We're not airing her dirty laundry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's her hobby. You have to have hobbies. We've talked about this, Chelsea. Can she pee on this movie? Is my question. Like and can I reserve her
1: services for when the creator of this movie kicks the bucket and <laughs> have her piss on his grave?
0: Yes! <laughs> Hey, hey, Macy, Um, for an extra three bowls of kibble, whenever you would like them, uh, can you please piss on the movie Midnight in Paris and also Woody Allen's eventual grave? She said she'll do it for free. Wow. Yeah. N- you know, not not all heroes wear capes. No, some of them wear beautiful fur that they grow because we don't skin animals.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Madison. Do you want to walk the listeners through our watchability score and then
0: also score how watchable this movie is? Sure. Okay. So for anyone who doesn't know, our watchability score is similar to that of a walkability score that uh, real estate websites and uh, realtors may use for a piece of property to relay how walkable it is to different amenities like restaurants and libraries and schools etc etc essentially how close in proximity it is to things that you would like to go to (sighs) ours is on a scale of one to five one you are stranded in the desert two you are at a backyards barbecue three you are at a strip mall in suburbia Four, you're four blocks from a transit stop. And five, the best coffee in town is right downstairs. And Chelsea, this film does not fit on our scale. Because the scale doesn't go lower than one. No, 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 no. We have to give it a one. But there's a special place in our penalty box for this movie. Do you think we should have a special penalty box itself? Mmm. Just for this film.
1: I don't know. I feel like it should have to be in there with you know, because <laughs> what because isn't that insulting to the <laughs> the narcissistic nature of this movie? Yeah. To have it be in a box with never been kissed and something's gotta give. Like what an what a slap in the face to this movie. So honestly, it's so right pristine. where it belongs. One, we're stranded in the desert. That's where the penalty box is, by the way. It's, it's far out in the desert. Not a drop of water to be seen. No life. Just tumbleweeds.
0: Ugh. It's
1: like a million
0: degrees. Terrible. I, and that's
1: where this penalty box is.
0: You know what? Yes. I completely agree. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, Chelsea. In Dante's circles of hell, the innermost circle, which is frozen because their sins can never burn away. There are three trapped within that inner circle. Judas, Cassius, and Brutus. All being mindlessly chewed by this vision of Satan. You know, this thing with three mouths. So I think... That essentially, we have created our own center circle of hell. And this movie, it completes it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, Lord. Oh, so in case it wasn't clear, I also give it a one. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea, do you have any final thoughts on this movie? Uh, my final thoughts are that, if anything, is an anti-campaign for Paris. It might be this. I really thought that it was Netflix's Emily in Paris, but it's this. Yeah. It's not good. Just don't watch it. Yeah. I, I genuinely, this is the one time that
1: I genuinely hope that n- no one watched it. I I hope that all <laughs> of you listening right now are like, thank goodness this was the week I decided not to watch the movie.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So, Madison,
0: unless you have any final thoughts. No, I would actually prefer to stop thinking about this movie. Yeah, true. I mean, this, this is how we leave this season. Yeah, what a way to end. What a way to end
1: season two. Yes, this is our last regular episode. And I guess this is as good a time as any to tell or remind you that we will be taking the summer off. Don't fret, we have a few bonus episodes that will appear throughout the summer. Coming up first, we have a interview that we did with a sex sexpert of sorts, in which we talk about rom-coms as they relate to sex. Sex depicted in rom-coms. What kinds of sex you want to see in rom-coms? What kind of sex you don't want to see in rom-coms? Madison talks about porn. Oh um, my god!
0: <laughs> it fits very the bill. briefly,
1: very briefly, but
0: uh, you know she does. So hey, I didn't uh, talk once about glory holes, and I could have. So why would you talk about glass blowing? That's a great question, Chelsea, and I'm so glad that you brought it up. <laughs>
1: So yeah, that was a really great episode. Uh, We had a really, really fun conversation. So everyone's going to really enjoy that. Then, of course, we have our rom-com respawn episode. And this rom-com respawn, we are watching Jennifer's Body from 2009, uh, which has become a little bit of a cult classic. I think it was very misunderstood and had a lot of bad press for various dumb reasons at the time of its release. So it kind of flopped. But... Uh I genuinely enjoy the movie. Um it's one of the few horror-like movies that I I don't I don't think it's too scary, so if you are no, it's not too spooky. If you're a, if you're a scaredy cat like me, you can probably watch it and it'll be fine. Won't give you nightmares, but we're going to turn that into a rom-com as that is the task. And then finally, we're watching a movie that has been talked about specifically on the pod and something that has been requested. We're going to have my sister back to talk about the 2007 Mm -hmm. classic Stardust (laughs) from 2007.
0: I'm so excited.
1: So much fun. Robert De Niro, Michelle Pfeiffer, Claire Danes, and that guy who I still can't, I should have looked up his fucking (laughs) name. I did this last time too. No, we're not going to know it until we get to the episode. That's the Uh, rule. If, if you're a Marvel person, it's it's Matt Murdock, uh, Daredevil. That's who we're talking about. I just can't remember the actors' names. I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, so, yeah, so those are the three bonus episodes that will appear throughout the summer. And then we will be returning with season three in August. Woo! So, in the meantime, you can write into us, send an email to love it for screening at gmail.com. You can try and get ahead of the curve before we pick a rom-com respawn movie for season three. If you have a movie that is not a rom-com that you'd like to see us attempt to make into one by rewriting it, uh, you can send us that. If you have any recommendations for films that you'd like to see us watch in season three, it'd be a great time to send those in. Remember that you do
0: recommend at your own risk. We're honest. That we're too honest, you know? I also would really love uh, if anyone could send in any Brendan Fraser movie that they would like us to turn into a rom com that's not already one, because I am high key obsessed with them. Great.
1: Perfect. Lovely. You can also DM us on Instagram at Love at First Screening to recommend any of those things or say hi or tell us that we're lovely and perfect, because, you know, that's, that's always nice to hear.
0: And I will say to Chelsea that. Honestly, if for any reason you guys decide that you want to negatively rate us, I get it. I completely understand. Um, So let me go ahead and tell you, if you will please, you know, like let's say you're rating us on iTunes, right? If you will please just go onto iTunes and then if you type in the Jordan B. Peterson podcast, leave your review for our podcast there because it'll get forwarded to us. So yeah, if you have a negative, yeah, if you have a negative review, just go ahead and leave it on the Jordan B. Peterson podcast and they'll forward it over to us.
1: You can also look out for our poll every week following the release of the newest episode. And I won't lie to you, it it happened on Thursday or Friday, maybe at the beginning of this season. But more and more, it's been like Monday or Tuesday. And for example, uh, we're recording this on a Monday and I still haven't come up with a
0: poll for something's got to give. So yeah. Well, TBD. Well, Chelsea, we've told him what to expect. We've told him where to find us online, not in person. Any final thoughts as we end season two? Sure. Um, don't forget to call your Lawmakers uh, to protest against the continuing rise of legislation that is uh, criminalizing trans health care. Just call your legislators and tell them that everybody deserves health care. Trans people deserve health care. Women deserve health care. People who can get pregnant deserve health care. Also, again, just support your local mutual aid groups. And Madison, more specifically to our podcast, um
1: I would really like you to pick more rom-coms in season three. I think you really dropped the ball this season. I know.
0: That's I know. my
1: that's my critique of you as, as my co-host. Look,
0: here's the This thing.
1: is your performance review live <laughs> from the
0: air. <laughs> Look, Chelsea, here's it's sort of like how second albums, you know, like you have like a banger first album, sophomore album, generally kind of flops in a way. This was my sophomore album. This second season, I came in hot the first season. I had some good options. I had to, I had to have some misses. But I will say that uh, next season, I'm... uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, we have some we have some classics. We we have some really good classic options for rom-coms. So I don't know. I think it'll be better. So please don't fire me yet. All right. Well, oh, and you, you just continue to do great. I, uh, here's your performance review. You're perfect. Don't change a thing.
1: I know. All I do is win. You know what I mean? Oh, no
0: matter what. What? What?
1: oddly enough I've made that joke before I don't know what episode it was in but
0: we've made that joke before yeah that's painful
1: (laughs) um so I'm so sorry that you had to listen to it twice um honestly anywho (laughs) alright it's been wonderful this season not really um (laughs) we we had two penalty box bad movies in this season I know and they were so close together hmm I'm sorry and so many that weren't even a rom-com I'm sorry so hopefully if you've stuck with us this far you'll continue to stick with us uh, as hopefully Madison does a better job in season 3 no guarantee uh, if she doesn't uh, we're gonna have to seriously consider recasting you know
0: I would support you in finding my replacement <laughs> <laughs> wonderful but please don't i have i have a wife and kids and dogs and a white picket fence i i have a mortgage chelsea
1: well once again we are love at first screening we're here every wednesday talking about all the rom-coms you love love to hate and everything in between so until next time <laughs>